Hi folks, I want to welcome you to our adult Sunday school time here at the Kerwinsville Christian Church. And we are continuing in our survey of the Old Testament. We're in that section of the study where we're looking at 1st and 2nd Kings and 2nd Chronicles. We've entitled this uh, Israel's Kings and Prophets. So we're up to lesson 20 and we're going to focus on Ahaz, the king of Judah, but we're also going to focus on the fall of the northern kingdom. Because up until this point, we've been kind of dealing with two different kingdoms. A kingdom to the north, which was the ten tribes started by Jeroboam, and then the house of David ruling over uh, Judah, which includes the tribe of Benjamin as well. So now we're going to see that the northern kingdom is finally going to be destroyed and take it into exile. And so that's what we're going to be focusing on today. So we're going to start off in chapter 16, and we're going to look at King Ahaz. This is also chapter 28 of 2 Chronicles. So first thing I want you to notice is this. In the 17th year of Pekah's reign as king of Israel, Ahaz became king over Judah. So in the 17th year of Pekah, You'll notice now that uh, Ahaz becomes king over Judah. Now Ahaz was 20 years old. All right, so he was 20 years old when he became king, and he ruled over Judah for about 16 years. So he's ruling over Judah for 16-year period. So it's, it's an okay period of time as far as the reign. But that kind of tells you that he's 36 years old when he dies. Now, unlike his fathers, remember there have been some of the Judean kings who, basically the kings of Judah who have not walked in the ways of David. Most of them have, although some of them had a mixed kind of uh, record. They started out strong, ended up poorly. Ahaz starts out poorly from the very beginning. And so here's how the text tells you about Ahaz. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not walk according to the ways of David. So he's basically doing evil in the sight of God, not walking according to the ways of David. But how did he walk then? Well, it tells you he walked in the ways of Israel's kings and he molded images for the Baals, for Baal worship, the one thing that they're not supposed to be doing. So he's kind of following in the footsteps of the kings of Israel. And so that's obviously very bad. Not only did he do that, but here he's done something far more heinous than the other kings who weren't doing right. Ahaz offered his children to the fire as the Canaanites did before the Lord cast them out. And you say, what do you mean offered his kids to the fire? Well, one of the worships of the God at that point, one group, how they worshiped, and this continued to be, exist in other nations around Israel at this point, would offer their firstborn to their God by sacrificing them in fire by fire, killing them, burning them alive. 
And he did this. He didn't just do it to one child, but the, the implication of the text is that he did it to many children. So he's really following after the sins of the Canaanites around him. So he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. So this, this guy is sold out to reject the God of Israel, the God of his fathers, and he is pursuing the worship of these other deities. And so he's just doing what he has to do and offering incense where he has to do it. Now, the reaction that you and I would have is, is, wow, that's pretty weird that he would do that. Well, God's got a different reaction. God is reacting the way that he told him he would react in the covenant curses and blessings. And so because Ahaz led Judah into sin, the Lord gave them into the hands of their enemies. So basically, rather than bringing peace to the nation because he's seeking after the Lord, and we saw that with his fathers when they sought after the Lord, God brought peace and stability. God doesn't do that here because he's leading Judah into sin. Basically, God now raises up enemies against Judah to punish them for their turning away from the Lord and worshiping and going whoring with the idols. So we see both in the record of Kings and Chronicles how this plays out. So Syria defeated Ahaz and exiled a large number of people to Damascus. So Syria comes against Judah, defeats Ahaz in battle, and a large number, thousands of people are taken to, in captivity, in exile, to Damascus. Ahaz also suffered defeat by Israel and 120,000 troops were killed in one day. So he's not just dealing with the threat from Syria, he's also dealing with the threat from Pekah in Israel. And in one day, 120,000 troops, troops of Judah were killed in one day. So Israel then carried away 200,000 women and children and spoil to Samaria. So because they've defeated the army, Ahaz is defeated, 120,000 are killed. Israel then carries away the spoil and they take with them 200,000 women and children from Judah. So these are Jews, these are Israelites. They are being taken now into captivity to Israel, back to Samaria, the capital. Now, here's what happens. Again, we're going to see a prophet emerging. So a prophet named Obed met the army before they reached Samaria, before they reached the capital city. So basically what has happened then is God sends a prophet out to meet them because they're not doing right. Well, you say, how are they not doing right? isn't just because they attacked Judah. God used them to punish Judah, but it's how they attacked him and what they did afterwards. Notice, here's what happened. He warned them that the Lord was angry with them because they attacked Judah with rage. 
with rage. It's how they attacked him. Not just that they attacked him in punishment and, and were defeating them. They attacked him with rage, wanting to obliterate them. We see the same thing later on when God pronounces through the prophets judgment on Babylon because of how they destroyed Judah. It's because not that they destroyed Judah. They were doing that because God was using Babylon to punish Judah. Rather, it's because they did it with rage and without mercy. All right, so let's go on. So they are guilty before the Lord because they want to make the captives from Judah into slaves. So they're wanting to make their kinsmen, and that's exactly what's going on here, their kinsmen. Yes, they're from different tribes, but they're kinsmen because they all share in the blessing, in the covenant blessing of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're wanting to make those from the tribe of Judah into their personal slaves and sell them into slavery. So here's what the prophet tells them to do. They are to free the captives because the wrath of the Lord is upon them. Now notice, God's judgment is already upon Israel anyhow. Why? Because they're continuing in the sin of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. They're continuing to worship the two golden calves. They're also worshiping on every, every hilltop and under every grove. They're, they're burning incense in different places. They've sought after, under while they were being ruled by the house of Ahab, they were seeking after the Baals. So they have sinned against the Lord greatly and are facing the consequences for that. But what's happening here is God's wrath is even more kindled because they're wanting to take their kindred from the tribe of Judah into slavery. So some of the elders stood against those who returned from Judah concerning the captives. So the text will tell you that there are some guys who were elders among the northern tribes, and they stood up and said, enough's enough, we're not going to do this. And so they stand up against those who want to make these captives slaves. They did not want to add to the sins of Israel, so the army left the captives and the spoil. So what happens is the captives are brought to Samaria by the army, and the army, rather than doing what they normally do, that is, divide everything among them and go on, they just leave it for the elders to decide what to do. They're washing their hands of it, and they leave. So here we have these captives with all of the spoil of Judah. So here's what happens. They clothed the captives and brought them to Jericho to return them to Judah. So these elders make arrangements for all of these captives from Judah to be clothed with the spoil to be taken care of, and then they returned them all to Jericho, the text says, where they were met by their brethren from Judah and basically given back to Judah at Jericho. And you notice Jericho is only a certain number of miles outside of Jerusalem, but it's in the northern kingdom. So Rezin, we now see, king of Syria, and Pekah, king of Israel, lay siege to Ahaz at Jerusalem. So while this is all going on in the attacking and the defeating of Ahaz, they kind of corner Ahaz in Jerusalem and they lay siege to the Jerusalem to 
to get and defeat Ahaz. Well, they failed to overcome Ahaz with the siege, but Syria took Elath from Judah. And we read also that once Syria took Elath, the Edomites then moved in and took Elath for themselves. So they've lost something that they had gained earlier under a prior king as far as for the kingdom, for the kingdom of Judah. At the same time, the attacks at the same time as the attacks from Syria and Israel, other nations attacked as well. We see that the Philistines are attacking. We see others who are attacking Judah at this time. So there's a lot of distress going on in the nation. They are facing an onslaught from all directions. They're facing difficulty from all directions and it goes back to one thing why they have turned away from the Lord and this is exactly what God had said in the covenant that if you turn away from me then I will bring in the oppressor I will bring in difficulties and that's exactly what's going on here so here's what Ahaz decides to do he needs help so rather than seeking God for the help he seeks help from the king of Assyria. So Ahab sent a message to Tiglath-Pilzer, king of Assyria. Now, <clears throat> let's stop for a moment. I want us to bring everything into focus now. So when you go over to Isaiah and you come to the prophecy concerning the virgin birth of Christ, you come to Isaiah 7. And you see that the whole background of that prophecy is as Isaiah comes to Ahaz and says, ask of the Lord, you know, don't worry about these guys of Pekah and, and Rezin. Don't worry about them. Ask of the Lord and he will give you a sign. And listen to what Ahaz says. Ahaz says in the passage, I will not ask, you know, I will not trouble the Lord. Basically, he's basically saying, I'm not going to bother God with this. Well, you understand why he replies that way when you understand what's going on in 2 Kings as well as in 2 Chronicles. Ahaz doesn't believe. He's whoring after the idols. He's choosing not to believe God so that when the prophet Isaiah comes to him and says, God wants to give you a sign that you don't need to worry about Syria and Israel, he tries to feign spirituality that I'm not going to ask anything of God. And that's why the prophecy is then given, and it starts off, would you trouble God? That's the point that's being made here. You see the character of Ahaz. So Ahaz is not seeking the Lord. He's seeking help from Tiglath-Pilzer, king of Assyria. And here's what he said in the message. Ahaz proclaimed that he was the Assyrian's king, servant, and son. So basically, he's subjugating himself to this foreign national king. Yes, this king is probably a world power. Not probably, is a world power at that time. But he's basically becoming a vassal, so to speak. And you see that he's doing that. Why? He requested that the Assyrians would save Judah from Syria and Israel. You know, I'm your servant. I'm your son. Please help us and, and rescue us from Syria and Israel. 
And just to sweeten the pot a little bit, he sent gold and silver of the temple and the palace to the Assyrian king. He basically sends along a bounty or a tribute, which is what a vassal king would do. Now, Ahaz was distressed because the Assyrian king would not help him. Isn't that interesting? He's looking for help from the Assyrian king. He's paying him off. He's subjugating himself, but the Assyrian king isn't helping him. He's not obligating himself to Judah. So the Assyrian king, though, in his own accord, of his own reckoning, took Damascus, killing Rezin, and taking Syria into exile. Now this is what the Assyrians did. And we're going to see that other kingdoms do this as well. What ends up happening is when they defeat an enemy. So here, the Assyrian king defeats the, the Syrian kingdom. Or basically what happens is, is he takes them now, he takes their people, and he moves them to another area. And what he would do is, is he then would take other peoples that were conquered and move them into the area that he had just conquered. And that's what's happening here. He's taking the Syrians from Damascus, he kills their king, and he hauls them away to be a part of his kingdom somewhere else. Ahaz went to Damascus to visit the Assyrian king, and he saw an altar there. Now this is what's really interesting. A lot of time is spent here in the text talking about this. So Ahaz, the king of Judah, goes to Damascus to visit the Assyrian king. And while he's there, he sees this altar that's being, that's basically must have been grand or whatever to some god who was there, to the Syrian gods. Now he sent the design and pattern of the altar to Urijah, the high priest. So what he does is while he's there, he's enamored with this, this altar. So then he gets the pattern and he gets the design and the specifications for the altar. And he sends them back to Judah, to the high priest of the temple, the temple of Yahweh, as this is what he wants. So the high priest built the altar before Ahaz returned from Damascus. So as soon as the word comes, this is the altar I want, here's the specifications. The priest does that and has it all completed before Ahaz returns from Damascus. Now the king made offerings on the new altar and had the bronze altar moved. Now, to remember, when we talked about the temple and when we talked about the tabernacle, the, uh, the burnt offerings were to be made on the bronze altar. There was one altar in which sacrifices were to be made. So what happens is, is the king, he's got this new altar shaped after something that's going on in Damascus with their gods, he has that built, and he decides that's the main altar. All of Judah is now going to sacrifice on that altar. So guess what he does? He has the bronze altar moved to a different part of the temple. He's, let's be honest here. He's getting into messing with things he shouldn't be messing with. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? Because the specifications of the temple, the placement of things were all by God's design. Do you understand me? 
They're all by God's design. And so now he's decided, because he's the king, he's going to alter the worship of Judah. So here's what's going on. Ahaz sacrificed to the gods of Damascus because Syria had defeated him. So this is what the issue is. Ahaz feels that Yahweh is not worthy to be worshipped because obviously the gods of Syria are far more powerful since he was defeated. So now he's decided he's got to worship the gods of Syria rather than Yahweh. We're not recognizing that Yahweh has allowed the defeat because of their sin of idolatry. Now, it's almost ironic here that he goes up to Damascus to get the design for this altar to the Syrian gods after they have been defeated by the Assyrians. So obviously their gods couldn't help them to defeat the Assyrians. Do you notice this now? Do you notice what's going on here? What it's reflecting is that Ahaz really is in a bad place and he is really operating from a rejection of God, a rejection of the Lord. So the king commanded that the sacrifices be made on the new altar, on this pagan altar that's been placed in the temple of Yahweh. Outrageous. Unbelievable. And so now when they come to make their sacrifices, they're to make it on this new altar. The king commanded that the bronze altar could only be used by the king for special guidance if he needed it. So basically it becomes in disuse. Why? Because the text tells you later on that he basically worships everywhere. So the king also had various items in the temple adjusted and changed. He changes things in the temple and removes things and adds things that are not supposed to be there. Ahaz shut the doors of the temple and made himself altars in every corner of Jerusalem. So eventually he just decides enough's enough and so he shuts down the temple and the worship of God. Listen, folks, that's really a pattern that you see happening today. I am not often amazed by hearing that somebody changes some key component of their faith. And by denying that component, it's only a matter of time when eventually they will decide that everything, not just that one issue, everything is no longer worthy of belief. And so they shut down the whole system because they started out with something small, but then it went to something even bigger. And in Ahaz's case, it's a classic case of somebody who does not believe that God can help him out. Why? Because he's been defeated, even though he's been defeated because of the, a direct result of his own sin. So he shuts the door of the temple. The king made these changes to the temple on the account of the Assyrian king. Guess who the big influence is on King Ahaz? It isn't Yahweh. It isn't the prophets that Yahweh sends. It's the Assyrian king. Now, this is going to be interesting. Later on, when we get to Hezekiah, who's the, who is the 
son of Ahaz and his kingship and Assyria lays siege to all of Jerusalem, one of the things that the Assyrian king is going to denounce Israel for is that they have rejected their gods to only worship one God. Now, why does he say that? Well, because the Assyrian king before has been trying to influence them into worshiping polytheism, more than one God rather than their monotheism. All right, so the writer of Kings, we come to the end of his life now, the writer of Kings lists where the details of Ahaz's reign are recorded. So there are some details, some things that he did and everything, it tells you where those details are recorded. And usually with the writer of Kings, when he's talking about the Judean kings, the kings of Judah, he makes mention to Chronicles, which we're looking at as well here. Ahaz died and was buried in Jerusalem as his son Hezekiah became king of Judah. So he died, he's buried in Jerusalem, and his son Hezekiah becomes. Now listen, when we talk about his burial, here's another interesting thing. The chronicler records that they did not bury him in the tomb of the kings. Now, I think that's interesting because basically that is an assessment of who he was as a king. And so he wasn't honored in his death. So he wasn't buried with his fathers, with those who followed the ways of David. He was buried somewhere else in Jerusalem because that was the nature of his kingdom. All right, so now that brings us to 2 Kings chapter 17. We're just going to focus on six verses, verses 1 to 6, and it's going to talk about Hoshea, king of Israel. So this is the final king in the kingdom, the northern kingdom of Israel. So in the 12th year of Ahaz's reign as king of Judah, Hoshea became Israel's king and reigned nine years. So Hoshea becomes the king now. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not according to the kings of Israel before him. So this guy is still no good, but he's not, it's kind of saying, well, at least he didn't walk in all of the ways of the kings before him. But he's still not good. Shalamansar, who is now the king of Assyria, came against Israel and Hoshea became a vassal to him. So Shalamansar, who is the king of Assyria at this point, basically comes against Israel and it's so powerful that Israel then decides that it's going to become a vassal state. They're going to pay tribute to Assyria so that they don't get totally destroyed. So they basically decide to pay tribute. But that doesn't last long either, folks. Why? The, the Assyrian king uncovered a conspiracy between Hoshea and Egypt. So basically what happens is, is, okay, they do this yearly tribute thing, but then there's one year when the tribute doesn't come from Israel. What's going on here? And it's then found out that there's this allegiance that's happening between the northern kingdom and Egypt against Assyria. So he uncovers this conspiracy by his, quote, vassal. So Hoshea was bound in prison by the Assyrian king. 
and we don't hear about him anymore. You do not hear anything else about him because he's basically taken away as a prisoner for the rest of his life, whatever that might be. So the Assyrian king went throughout the northern kingdom and laid siege to Samaria. So now when we get to chapter 17, verse 5 through verse 41, we're going to see the captivity of the northern kingdom. We're going to see basically the destruction of the northern kingdom. So the Assyrian king, he goes throughout the northern kingdom and he laid siege to the capital city of Samaria. So in the ninth year of Oshia, the Assyrians took Samaria and carried them into exile. Basically, they're taken away into exile. Now, here's what we know from the historical record, from archaeological records and so forth. The Assyrians were a brutal people. And so when they defeated you and took you away into exile, it is recorded that they would put a ring in your lip and then guide you away by rope from that ring. I mean, this is brutal. And they would carry you back to wherever they're taking you into exile. So here's what's saying. Israel was exiled because they sinned against the Lord by committing idolatry. This is the main reason why this is happening. And again, let's remind ourselves. God told them that this would happen all the way back when the prophet has a confrontation with Jeroboam, the son of Nabat. Remember when he was, the prophet came and gave his decree against him and brought the word of the Lord. You know, Jeroboam stuck out his hand to direct people to arrest him and it shriveled up, it atrophied. And of course, the prophet prays for him to be healed. But in that prophecy of what would happen at Bethel, he tells the northern kingdom, because of your sin, God is going to carry you away into exile. And that's exactly what's going on here. It is a fulfillment exactly of what was happening. It's not just that prophecy that was given to Jeroboam. It goes all the way back to the final sermon, to the final blessing and curses that Moses would bring from the Lord and he told them that they would one day be carried away in exile from the land because what? Of their idolatry and their rejection of God. This is all a result of that. So the Lord sent prophets to Israel, but they refused to listen and believe. So as this is going on and they're rejecting the Lord, God sends prophets to call them back, but they don't listen. They refuse to listen and they don't believe. So Israel left and rejected the commandments as they built the two calves. Remember the calf that was in Dan as well as the calf that was in Bethel that Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, said to them, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. This is the reality of what's going on here. They also worshiped the host of heaven and the Baals. Now, what's the host of heaven? Well, basically, that's the constellations. You understand that. For those of you, hopefully it's not you, who look at a horoscope, that's based upon the whole concept of the host of heaven. 
And so there were those in the northern kingdom. They weren't just worshiping Baal and the Asheroth poles and, and worshiping at these two golden calves. They were also worshiping the host of heaven, the, the constellations. They sacrificed their children to the fire and sold themselves to evil in the Lord's sight. So remember, it wasn't just Ahaz who sacrificed his child. In the northern kingdom, they were doing the very same thing, and they were doing evil in the sight of the Lord. They sold themselves to sin. They gave themselves over to sin. So the Lord was angry with Israel and removed him from his sight. So he took out the northern kingdom and removed him from his sight, just as he said he would. The Lord left only Judah in his sight, but they also rejected the Lord. So let me just stop for a moment. So he's leaving Judah, the kingdom of Judah. That's Judah and Benjamin, the final two tribes. He's leaving them not, you can't say it's because they're doing better than Israel. No, because the text tells you quite plainly here that they themselves are rejecting the Lord as well. They're rejecting the Lord as well. So the, the Lord rejected the descendants of Israel and gave them to plunderers. So he's rejecting them and giving them over to plunderers. So Israel was rejected and carried away in exile to Assyria. In fact, it's interesting, at this point, the Assyrian kingdom is into, somewhere into what we would later know as the Medo-Persian Empire because the captives from the northern kingdom are taken to the land of Medes, to the, Mede the Medo-Persian Empire later it would become. So the Assyrian king brought exiles from other nations to inhabit the cities of Israel. So this is the, this is the strategy. They would take the, the defeated people, take them away and take them somewhere else, and then they would bring other defeated people from other nations to inhabit those cities, and so that's what they did. Now it's interesting what happens hereafter. These nations did not know and fear the Lord, so God sent lions among them. So here they are, they're in the land of God. They're in, they're in the land of Israel, which belongs to the Lord. They come, they don't know the Lord, they don't fear him, they're worshiping their own God. So God sends lions among them to judge them. <clears throat> Here's what happens next, folks. These peoples told the Assyrian king, that the God of the land is angry with them. So they send a message back and say, okay, you brought us here, but the God of this land is upset with us and he's killing us with lions. We need your help. So guess what is decided to do? The Assyrian king had a priest from Israel return to the land. So he sends back one priest from Israel, bring somebody from the captives of Israel to go back and teach them how to appease the God of the land. This priest came to Bethel and taught the people to fear the Lord. So he goes back, and, he, and we're not talking, the people here, we're not talking about, these are not Israelites, folks. These are people from Babylon and other areas. They're there inhabiting the land, and Basically, the priest comes from Bethel and he teaches them 
how to fear the Lord. Now, here's the ironic thing. The people feared the Lord and continued to worship the gods of the nations they came from. So they kind of got this dualistic, synchronistic thing going on here where, yes, they're fearing the Lord and honoring him, but they're also worshiping their gods from their nations that they came from. So they continue to do this. Because they served the gods of their nations, they did not truly serve the Lord. Well, we understand that. If you serve the Lord, your wholehearted devotion has to be to Yahweh. But that's not true here. Even though they feared God, they served their own gods. But because of that, they're not truly serving the Lord. They're not truly serving the Lord. So that brings us to the end of our lesson today. And so we're going to start off next week with the focus now being only on the southern kingdom. So both kings and chronicles from this point on only deals with the kings of the southern kingdom up until the time of their captivity. And so next week we're going to be looking at a very well-known king Hezekiah. And that's what we're going to take a look at next week.